You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Yes, Kyla, glad to be with you, and the sun has come back to Vancouver. The sun is back, and you know what that means. It means lots of different things. Um, it means I went out today and shot some uh, scenes for an upcoming music video. No, it that's means not what that, that means. people on the road are putting their foot yep. on the pedal. Yep. Yep. Nice weather means people in their cars driving faster to get the places they want to enjoy the nice weather. It also means more traffic enforcement because more officers are willing to stand on the side of the road and use the laser or radar. Well, and get out on their motorcycles Mm -hmm. and pull up and split the lane as they look to see all of the different people who are on their cell phones. I understand you gave a uh, lecture about cell phone enforcement. Yes, with Grant Gokertru. He and I gave a presentation to the BC Real Estate Association on distracted driving laws in uh, Canada and, well, in BC. And yeah, I hopefully it was well received. So and now if any realtors get a cell phone ticket, they have no excuse. They weren't at my presentation, clearly. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, Again, no excuse. No excuse for not being at your presentation. But, you know, the nice weather does sort of allow us to analyze one issue that seems to be becoming a lot more common than I remember it used to be. Um, And that's specifically young drivers, people sort of 16 to 24 driving stupid fast. Well, here's the thing. You're older now. I'm old. And, Back uh, in my day. You're not that old, but you're older now. <laughs> and many years ago, I realized that um, every generation that comes along complains about the way young drivers drive. I'm not complaining. And, or point out the fact that this is something that's significant. There is a difference, and the difference seems to be, well, there's a couple of differences. One, they're under a lot more scrutiny. Right. You get one ticket as a new driver, you can lose your license. Right. But I'm, t- I'm not talking about just a regular speeding ticket. I'm talking about these newsworthy stories. Two out of Kelowna in the last 10 days with drivers, L or N drivers, going 50 kilometers an hour over the speed limit. Yes. And I drove 50 kilometers an hour over the speed limit 40, 39 years ago. You know, this was not something that was unusual. The difference is... Two things, and I, you know, they they speak to different aspects of it. One is enforcement enforcement is much harsher. Uh, the chance of getting caught is probably maybe more likely now for certain types, like driving at night um, at those speeds. But the uh, the more interesting thing is the power the cars have these days, and I've been going on about this now for fifteen twenty years compared to like my brother's 78 Datsun, 77 Datsun B210. Um, You know, that's a large part of the reason. All the new cars have incredible power. Yeah, I I disagree. I mean, I do think there's a reason for it. But my thinking 
is that the reason for it, especially recently, like I'm talking like the last, you know, two or three years that I've seen this increase, there has been significantly less visible traffic enforcement in the last few years. And when I was learning to drive, when I got my N and had my L, I would drive around in my small community on Vancouver Island and I would see police parked in the marked vehicles on the sides of the roads doing traffic enforcement. You don't see marked police vehicles on the sides of the roads doing traffic enforcement that much anymore. No, and this is true. And this is something I complained about quite a bit. I don't know if I ever got around to writing the blog posts about it um, for our website a long time ago. But VPD went to using a, a significant number of unmarked police vehicles. And then police vehicles used to be a black and white, you know. Um, and um, then they got rid of the black and white and or got rid of white or blue or red or whatever have you and replaced them with these black cars with dark decals on them that you can barely see. And, you know, it's a it, it, it makes it look a little bit like a paramilitary organization. I, I got to say, I don't like that. Um, and the unmarked police cars do not have the same effect of deterring people from bad driving because people do not see the police and they think they can get away with it. Well, nor do the motorcycles for the same reason. Yeah. So this is a problem as far as I'm concerned, but you have to think about it from the perspective of the people who are making the decisions about the colors of the cars and how many unmarked cars. And one of the reasons they make that decision is... Police officers in marked cars in uniform feel stigmatized. They feel like I feel like I'm, I'm traffic cop. Whereas you can, you know, play detective or play, you know, a high ranking officer. If you're driving around in an unmarked car, you can impress the uh, people of the opposite sex, which I have to say is probably a gay? significant motivation for many straight male cops is they're going to get to wear the uniform, they're going to look good, it's going to impress the girls, and so forth. I mean, it is a it is a factor. And so recruitment does, you know, is a real problem, right? We have a shortage of police officers. I noticed in Ontario now, uh, Doug Ford is talking about having police officers now in the OPP who are like right out of high school, don't have a, a, a degree or anything, not a certificate. You know, usually they would hire somebody who is who's at least studied something for two or three years. Yeah, it used to be you couldn't get into a police force unless you had a um, a bachelor's degree. Of some sort, yeah. Um, and now, even if it was in phys ed. Now they'll take you if you have a pulse. Exactly, which is frightening. And we, we see that. I mean, we see that police officers' writing skills have declined, yeah. um, you know, for frontline officers and the reports that we see. Um, but, um, you know, they have an ongoing problem with recruitment. Who wants to be a cop in the lower mainland? Who wants to be a cop? Because how are you going to afford a home? But it doesn't matter what you do. Like, how are you going to afford a home? Who wants to be a lawyer? Yeah, well, <laughs> how are they, you going to afford a home? Well, I suppose it takes 30 years to save a down payment if you're earning 300000 a year or something like that. Was I saw some 38 years. ridiculous calculation, and I believe it. Um, so um, I, I think... You know, I don't like the lack of visibility. I've complained about this before. You and I know that the thing that inspires people to uh, abide by traffic laws is fear of apprehension and, you know, being pulled over on the roadside and having people drive by who know you. Which is why I say that this is a particularly unique problem among that age group. Because people who are older, at least we had that formative experience of seeing the police on the roads. 
And for me, for a lot of people, it's sort of ingrained in your mind. Like I can name you all the places that I, you know, would expect a roadblock or speed enforcement when I was a teenager. Uh, yeah, in Edmonton, it was on every block. You could expect <laughs> speed enforcement, so we knew yeah. about it. Um, and I gained to, I, I managed to develop a skill of being able to spot police officers a long way away that I don't have anymore because my eyesight is failing. But, <laughs> but um, these people are developing their driving habits <clears throat> without that benefit. They're developing their driving skills without the the sort of fear of being pulled over for speeding instilled into them. Well, that's and, true. In the lower mainland, it's hard to get pulled over for speeding. And in the case of young people, where you know young people are also far more likely to engage in risk-taking behavior, just generally, um, you know that leads to what we see now. Yes, indeed. But I'm also think that it, it is probably quite a thrill to put your foot down in some of these performance cars these days. You know. Uh, doesn't matter what it is. The, it, it just the acceleration in a Tesla, for example, is outrageous. Yes. So I think that's part of it. You know, I was driving a 1968 Triumph Spitfire, and I can tell you, it took 14 seconds to get to 100 kilometers an hour. Yeah, it doesn't take my car 14 seconds <clears throat> to get to 100 kilometers an no, hour. No, yeah. Your car's probably seven seconds to get to it, or five and a half, or something like that. It's probably five and a half. It's pretty yeah. fast. It's way faster than I need. When do I ever drive 100 kilometers an hour? <laughs> infrequently on the highway. Yeah, either, But you're a very careful driver. Um, <clears throat> speaking of careful people, I wanted to talk a little bit with you and get your take on something that uh, Mo, Amir, and... I talked about on the Soapbox Social panel on on the coast with Gloria Macarengo. I haven't listened to it yet this week, so I don't know you're going to surprise me. Listeners, Paul never listens I to it unless listen. it just happens to be on. But I he do doesn't listen. seek it out after. I have even driven you there for your event and sat and listened to it on the radio. <laughs> um, so I do listen. Um, the so the VPD has released a social media video that they posted to Twitter. Um, and it it depicts their social media officer, Constable Jason Doucette, uh, going up and down crosswalks in downtown Vancouver, like at, at Robson in Georgia, um, and stopping people who are crossing when the countdown, you know, the little white man says walk goes away. Good. The countdown comes up and he's stopping them and explaining why they're not supposed to be crossing when the countdown comes on. That's correct. Did they ticket them? Did they arrest them? Did they taser no, them? No, they said there's no consequences. He's just doing education. I don't believe it. I believe people were ticketed. I hope they start to ticket them. Now that they've educated the public, well, the do, public's been warned. They do ticket people for jaywalking. I see it in front of the courthouse. I just saw it in front of the courthouse this week. Jaywalking. Yes. You know what jaywalking comes from? A um, long story about jaywalking. Jaywalking was a phrase that was adopted by the automobile community to dissuade people from walking on the street because people were getting killed in car accidents and it was always sort of framed as the driver's fault. So where's the J? Um, the J actually refers to um, to people who are like country bumpkins. It was two separate words. The J was just referring to somebody from the country who was unsophisticated. And so you were crossing the street like somebody from the country who didn't know how to live in the big city. Oh, 
Okay. And so um, it was. At uh, least it's not it a racist a, term. It was, no, it was a phrase that was developed by I the automo- automotive industry. Term. No, it's not. Developed by the automotive industry to um, stigmatize people who crossed the street. And then whenever there was a car accident with a pedestrian, they would uh, try and persuade the media to refer to it as, as a jaywalker. A country bumpkin walking across the street, and they encouraged the police. They they encouraged people to yell at people who were jaywalking, and yell at the police to arrest them, to stop them from jaywalking. Um, it was a long history of this at the beginning of the automotive industry. Well, jaywalking laws have been used to disproportionately stop black people and racialized people, and engage with them for no good reason. That's true. Anyway, I learned all of this this week on um, another podcast uh, under the influence by Terry O'Reilly. I was going to say a better <laughs> podcast, but then, yeah, it is a better podcast. <laughs> it's a great podcast. Yeah. If you don't listen, I listen to it all the time. Um, okay. Well, that's fine. But the point is that police do enforce jaywalking in Vancouver. I saw somebody outside the courthouse this week jaywalking. And it, were When they, I was considering jaywalking. And were they ticketed? <laughs> the police officer on a bike. Um, dealt with them. I don't know if they were ticketed, but he, he well, rolled up on his bike. Most of the time it's a warning. And I have to say, I've been, you know, I, I'm, I like the countdown timers because as a driver, I know, you know, where I am in the block and whether or not, you know, I should start slowing down in advance of the light or whether I know that I'm safely going to be able to sail through it. But the problem that I have as a driver is that these jerks can see that they've got time before the light is going to change they can see the countdown Mm -hmm. they step out onto the street Mm -hmm. they jaywalk they cross against the light Mm -hmm. and then you can't turn right you're stuck you can't turn left and it impedes the rest of traffic the flow of traffic and the whole idea of the lights are well thought out and well engineered by people who have looked at it and examined it and said okay this is what we need to do to make traffic work and it works with an entire computerized system for the whole city lights are not individual lights right they're working with the lights down the road and lights down the road and lights down the road. And some person who selfishly decides they're going to block the road and half the time people like saunter across the road like it's, they're entitled to be doing this um, and block traffic, uh, who do that, impede it for everybody and ultimately end up causing everybody to use more fuel. It's bad for the environment. Also, they put themselves at risk. I mean, we know that there's drunk drivers out there. There's people on the road who are not careful. There's people on their cell phones. As far as I'm concerned, when you get your foot on the street and you start crossing, you do it with gusto. You get across the street because you reduce the chance. If you're elderly or disabled. That's a different thing. But if you see people who are healthy and and are capable of crossing the street, cross the street. Make it so that person can turn right. Make it so that person can turn left. God, this Get is like off a hill you're willing to die on. You're darn right I am. I'm, wow. I'm upset about it because Paul it's... All sides it's, with the Vancouver police. Look, I don't jaywalk. Um, I know. The, uh, it's very annoying. I know. Except, except sometimes. I know one place you do jaywalk. Uh, I don't know. Where. On your way to chicken wings. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I <laughs> jaywalk on the way there, but I never jaywalk on the way back. Um, and we always do it and make sure that we don't impede traffic. Uh, it is something that I do... Very rarely, because I don't want people to see me not abiding by the law. I do speed. Um, you know, I've got a, my 10 kilometer an hour rule, and I try and follow the speed limit. When I first had children, I got to tell you, I just was right on the speed limit first time in my life. Um, my foot came off the pedal. But I do speed, but I stop, as you know, at stop signs. 
and I stop for red lights. And I do that because I'm trying to make sure that traffic flows in accordance with the way that it was designed. I appreciate that, but I do like find it a little bit rich that the Vancouver police have enough resources and time to send a uniformed officer to a street corner to lecture a bunch of pedestrians about what is not a significant public safety issue while having him miked and having somebody film it who's probably another uniformed officer. But it's a public education exercise. It's taking police resources that are needed. Look, Ken Zim's all like, we're hiring 100 new police officers. We're going to deal with the problems in the city. None of the problems in the city are any better. None of the, you know, you still can't get through to VPD non-emergency to report that your car got broken into. You can't, you can't get a police officer to even investigate if your car gets broken into, but they will spend an entire day generating social media content about something that is not a public safety issue, but is a convenience issue for drivers. I think it's absolutely appropriate that our tax money is paying for this. It is public education. And again, you want to, to me, it boils down to efficient use of everybody's time. You know, you know, and I know I've been through a couple of construction projects in the last little while. And you or we? Well, we have, but I've been the one who's had to deal with contractors and so forth over and over again. And one of the things that I found is the problem uh, is measurement. Um, people don't know how to measure, and it's one of those things that costs money. Uh, and people are late, not because they don't know how to measure time, but because there's all sorts of things that are impeding them that shouldn't necessarily be impeding them. Um, And all of these things that delay the project cost money, holding holding money, the money just basically to pay the mortgage and pay the the insurance and pay the, uh, the, the, the taxes and everything on that piece of property or what have you that you're working on. And there's all these little efficiencies in our world that are just easy, easy, easy to fix if people change some of their habits. And this is one of those habits that if people, and you love efficiency, you're very efficient and you're quick to point out when other people aren't as efficient as even me. And I, and I appreciate it, although it hurts because it's very hard to keep up with you, but you get frustrated with inefficiency too. And this is just a built-in inefficiency that is something that people can change easily. It's not like an addiction or something like that. And I think ticket the people, generate some revenue, deter them, get it done. Okay. Well, with that, Paul. Shout out to the VPD for putting out that video. (laughs) I'll be on it next time. No, no. You'll be on it getting warned about jaywalking for your chicken wings. Not likely. Um, <laughs> moving on to the ridiculous driver of the week. The week, the week, the week, the week. A surprising bestseller? The pinpoint method of cross-examination is catching on. Law firms and new litigators across Canada have caught on to cross-examination, the pinpoint method. Kai Lee's straightforward handbook that teaches you effective cross-examination skills. I thought maybe we'd bookend this podcast a little bit. Um, We started out talking about the epidemic of young drivers and their speeding. And this one, you know, usually I'm not that interested when you send me suggestions for ridiculous drivers because the, the, the speeding is 
It's bad, but it's not that bad. This one, this one's bad. I've sent you a lot of good ridiculous drivers over the years. Sure, I know, but sometimes you like phone it in with just regular speeding ticket people. Yeah. This one is an 18-year-old with his L. He's got four other youths in the car with him. And he is driving on Marine Drive in Vancouver at 187 kilometers per hour. Wow, that's good. Now, if I was 16 or 17 driving like that as a kid. My car did not go at 187. No, my... Seventy-eight Datsun did not either, uh, but um, <laughs> my eighty-eight Mazda. But we would have been listening to Led Zepp, the immigrant song. You can't get through a podcast without a musical performance. Hey, there was a musical performance this week. They played um, "Lawyer Told Me Not to Talk to You," the music video, like, apparently for your um, presentation to the realtors. Yes, um, that's pretty fast. That is really fast that, you know, it was in the 80 kilometer an hour zone, but it doesn't matter. It was still more than a hundred kilometers an hour. Do we know what type of car it was? Do we know? I didn't pay attention to that. Probably something that could go a hundred, 240 on the Autobahn handily. Sure. Because that's what cars do these days. I am shocked that they did not forward dangerous driving charges to the crown because- How old was he? 18? 18. Hmm. Um, Well, I have to say I drove- Fast, fast, fast when I was 18. When I had my N, I decided one day to see how fast I could get my Mazda. And I got it up to 130, and the engine was, like, shaking. Um, I thought it would fall out. I had, uh, the fastest I drove was a uh, borrowed car with bald tires that I got up to 135 miles an hour on the Yellowhead Trail just out on the edge of Edmonton. (laughs) Um, between 50th Street and uh, sort of the river. And uh, that was uh, that was dangerous, and it was a full-on race. And I had my Triumph Spitfire up to 93 miles an hour on a city street. Nice. I drove my Kia. Remember my Kia? Yeah. I drove my Kia 90 miles an hour in Kansas and got a ticket. There you go. <laughs> Don't go 90 miles an hour in the highway on Ca- it was, in Kansas. It was a Kia Rio, and I would every time yeah. I'd see it, I was saying... No. If you drive a Kia and anyway. No. The uh, <laughs> like the song Rio. But yeah, I can't I can't even stigma. like I can't even contemplate driving at 187 kilometers an hour. Like at that speed, you lose sight of everything around you. Like you can't see the road ahead. You can, you have no time to react to anything. I've driven that speed on the Autobahn. Um when you get to 150, 160, it's okay when you're used to it and you know the traffic isn't so bad. When you get up to 180 on the Autobahn, designed for people who yeah. do drive 240, it starts to get weird, especially if there's traffic. But there's no exits or entrances. There's no chance of somebody stepping on the road. There's You've got, you know, 50 kilometers that you're driving that speed. I've driven up to 240 on the Autobahn. Um, that was the fastest. I had a rented Mercedes driving from Bavaria back up north. Uh, there's nobody on the road. It was 31 degrees, and it just was smooth as silk in that Mercedes. But I will tell you, at 150 on a city street, that's dangerous driving. And, of course, we know this. And this is 180. Yeah. Yeah. There's nowhere in the lower mainland of Vancouver where you could safely drive 
There's over, nowhere over, one, in, over 140. There's nowhere in British Columbia you could do that. Oh, I think you could. it wouldn't necessarily be dangerous driving if you were on that stretch of highway between, uh, between um, basically what, the turnoff from Poos- Port Alberta. and Grand Prairie? No, the turnoff from, from, uh, from um, uh, what am I thinking, uh, Port Alberni going north up to Campbell River where it's, well, it's two lanes. Where they had up, upped uh, yeah, it to 120 at one point. Yeah, it was two lanes. It's straight as could be. There's very few people on the road. There's times you could drive that at a really high speed, and it probably wouldn't be that unsafe. But, I have been on the Coquihalla where I've been up to 130 when I've realized I was going 130 and then slowed down in spots where it's 120 is the speed limit. Anyway, 180. Yeah, that's a ridiculous driver of the week. Yep. And there you go. And that's our podcast. If you have a driving law related issue, you can find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com or you can give us a call at 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.